We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Twenty minutes a day. 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Thanks so much for joining me today. The NFL draft is officially over. It comes and goes every year so freaking quick. And first round kicks off. And before you know it, that final pick is made. Undrafted free agents are being signed. And it's so crazy how the entire season works where the NFL is a 365-day-a-year business, hence the Pack a Day Podcast. But there's certainly those time periods where, you know, maybe middle of June, you'll be like scrounging for topics. And then a day like today and this weekend where I could probably record like a hundred videos and feel like I still had like a million things that I wanted to go over. So I'm going to try my best to sort of condense everything into this one episode. Now, for those of you who want the, the big scouting reports and deep dives, I promise you those are coming. As you know, I do a huge deep dive for every player that the Packers select. You're not getting one for the kicker. I'm sorry in advance. It's just not happening. Uh, you'll get a little bit of a breakdown at some point, but uh, overall, you're going to get huge deep dives for everyone else in this class. I'm going to watch as much film as I possibly can on all of these players, and you're going to get all my thoughts. And we're going to do those one per day starting on Monday uh, and starting with Lucas Van Ness. So you can look forward to all of those today. I'm going to give my day three sort of snippet versions of uh, some of the takeaways from these picks. We'll go over them pick by pick. I've got a lot of other things that I want to discuss, but I really want to start off by saying I just thought that this was a very fun draft for Brian Gutekinds company. I didn't think this was a very strong draft overall. In fact, I think it was a below average draft, not Brian Gutekind's draft, not the Packers draft, but just in general, the overarching draft, I didn't think was a very strong draft. So the fact that I thought Brian Gutekind did a really, really nice job in navigating the entirety of this draft, were there a couple things here and there that we can nitpick on and we will nitpick on? Yes. But I thought overall, 
This is a strong tight end class. And you know what he did? He attacked it early and often. He got two tight ends in the day two of the draft, Luke Musgrave and uh, Tucker Kraft, that are going to be able to help this team probably from day one. And right now are the two top tight ends on the roster. We'll see how that sort of shapes out moving forward. Uh, but I love the fact that you took the one of the best positions in this entire draft. In a draft that wasn't that good, what's the position that is really good? Tight end. All right, let's get one in the second. Let's come back and get another right away in the third. I love that he attacked that. I know the need is at safety. You got to get a safety. The Packers need a safety. Safety, 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 safety. It's a bad safety draft. And it doesn't necessarily mean that there's not going to be a couple safeties that turn out really well in this draft. Maybe even there's a future Hall of Famer. You never know. Everyone's basically a lottery ticket at this point in time. But when you looked at it from a draft to draft standpoint and how this safety class stacked up against other positions in this draft, safety just wasn't good. It was a very, very poor safety class overall, at least on paper going into the draft. So what do you do? You kind of ignore it. You don't just take a safety for the sake of taking a safety to check a box and say, hey, we did it. You know, do you want to get a safety that's not graded very high and reach for them in the second, third round? Or do you want those tight ends that are going to be really, you know, from a really, really deep class that, as I mentioned the other day, I think Musgrave and Kraft, I think those guys move up maybe a whole round if this is a weaker tight end class. And just because there was so much depth in this tight end class, they get taken in the second and third. That's just really good business by Brian Gutekind. So I love the way that he specifically uh, attacked this draft. And like I said, I thought it was just a really fun draft overall. And there's a truth to Aaron Nagler and Cheesehead TV's mantra after the draft of nobody knows. There's a real legitimacy to that. We're going to have to wait and see to find out. So whether you love the draft, whether you really, really liked it to slash loved it, which is probably the category that I'm in, um, or whether you weren't such a fan of it, quite frankly, it doesn't matter. I think the beauty and the, um, you know, the joy in this entire process is going through it and reviewing these players and discussing what we think they're going to become. Like that's all really part of the fun process of being a fan of the team. And what are these next players going to be? And there's the, this is the time period where hope springs eternal. It's all amazing. And again, if you, if you're not liking the draft class, I've been there. I've been to many draft classes in Green Bay's history that I wasn't a big fan of. And you know what? Some of those guys turned out, some of them didn't. And you know, what's going to happen this year. Some of these guys are going to turn out and some of them won't. And as Ben Fennell and I were talking, about the other day when I had him on as a special guest, I think the best analysts, what they do is paint the picture of who the prospect is as a whole. Here's the good. Here's the bad. Now we're going to let this play out. And Tony Pauline, who I believe I'm going to be talking with uh, coming up for next week and reviewing the Packers draft class, at least that's the plan right now. Uh, what he always says, and it's so uh, you know appropriate, is we we kind of feel like, all right, the draft is over, and then you know we move on to the next thing. The draft is just the starting point for these players. It's all right, now you're going to a specific place. You're going to fit into a specific scheme. Now you have to work harder. You have to learn a playbook, learn a system. And how do these players fit in with your culture, with your team, with your organization? It's just the starting point. So now we're going to see over the course of the next two, three years, how this draft class ultimately plays out and just how much much they can help Green Bay this upcoming season. And that starts this upcoming weekend with rookie minicamp, which I'm excited about. I believe I'm going to be there both days. I'll for sure be there on Saturday, hoping to get there Friday as well. Uh, but can't wait to see these players in person. And uh, again, we're going to be doing the deep dives on Packaday coming up as well. So look forward to all of those things. As I mentioned, really like Brian Gutekind's vision in this draft, attacking the specific positions that were really, really good. And then just his overall philosophy, right? In the early round, in that first round, he has the same thing year by year. 
premium position, young player, ultra talented, ultra athletic, super high upside. You're taking that home run swing. Your goal in the draft is to find one all pro caliber player, one pro bowl caliber player and a couple starters, maybe a couple rotational players here and there. But if you can find anything like that, you've done a really great job. And it ultimately doesn't matter at what points in the draft that you find them in. You just need to find them. But you're giving yourself a really great chance of finding one of those high-end players if you continue to take a premium position player that has a ton of upside, that has amazing athleticism, that already has good production, that's young, can still develop. Those are the type of players Goody loves. That's what he took. He took it in round one. And then what did he do? The rest of the draft, he really focused on Jordan Love in that offense and building an offense and weapons around him, running back three wide receivers, two tight ends. And just overall, the vision that he had for this draft was really, really good. Does that mean that it's a great draft long-term? We don't know yet, but the vision and how he put this draft together was sound overall. Again, there's going to be some things that we nitpick and we'll get to that in just a moment, but the overarching vision and how he attacked it, I thought was really, really good. And then I talked about this a little bit before, but uh, I was asked this uh, in uh, one of the chats that I did also, but you know, do you want to go tight end and then edge, or do you want to go edge and tight end, for example? And there were a lot of people that had Dalton Kincaid or Michael Mayer to Green Bay at pick 15 when they were still picking there. And then when they moved up to 13, there were still a lot of people that had Dalton Kincaid specifically at pick 13. Some still had Michael Mayer at that point. There were many mocks and many final predictions that had a tight end at pick 13. Go back and look at the draft in round two at pick 42 and what edge rushers were still there at that point. you're certainly not getting a premium edge rusher. A lot of the final, even really good edge rushers went at the end of round one. Now you're reaching for a much worse edge at the, you know, at pick 42. And so you can take Dalton Kincaid or Michael Mayer in round one at pick 13. And Kincaid didn't even go till way later. Mayer didn't go until the beginning of the second round. And meanwhile, what do you get at pick 42? A player that legitimately could potentially become the best tight end in this class. And one that does not have that much of a difference from Dalton Kincaid, the guy that went, what, 25th overall, I want to say, right in that range and, you know, was taken as the first tight end. So you have to look at, uh, you know, your sort of draft board and what you're going to expect happens. If they would have taken a tight end and then try to get an edge in round two, you're looking at a very similar tight end to the one that they have really in even round three and uh, with, with Tucker Craft as well. Like, you know, you, you could have, I think there would have been people, if I told you going into the draft that Green Bay took Dalton Kincaid at 13 and then took a second and third and moved up to the bottom of the first and took Michael Mayer and like, hey, we got our two tight ends. We're super excited. There would have been people that have been excited about that going into the draft because I saw people say things like that. Instead, they get two tight ends in Luke Musgrave and, um, and, and Tucker Craft that in my opinion, aren't all that different in overall upside and ability and talent than Kincaid and um, and mayor, like sincerely, and bring very similar traits and athleticism and upside to the table. We'll see what they ultimately become, but that's just really good process by Goody. Get that premium edge rusher that you're not going to be able to find later at pick 13. Take that home run swing, then come back and take a Musgrave and get a wide receiver and then take a a craft and then grab a couple more wide receivers on day three. I thought that was really good process as well. So overall, I liked how Goody attacked this draft. Let's go uh, pick through pick for our uh, day three selections. Let's start out with Colby Wooden. And like I said, we're going to go kind of 
sort of rapid fire through these. The deep dives will come in the coming, you know, coming days and coming weeks. But defensive lineman out of Auburn, 6'4", 273, 9.24 RAS score, a little bit undersized for a 6'4 guy for a, a defensive lineman in Green Bay scheme. But this is going to be a very fun rotational piece. You throw on the tape of him, he gets into the backfield, he penetrates. I like that he can play with leverage. He is going to be a player that I think works his way into the rotation very quickly. And you start looking at this defensive line rotation. We know that Kenny's going to be the guy. They're going to expect big jumps from TJ Slayton and Devontae Wyatt, aside from Kenny, as the probably your three starters in a base 3-4 and really you know, base three, four isn't going to get played all that much, but you get the point. Those are going to be your three primary defensive linemen. Now you get a Colby Wooden in, uh, you know, early day three of the draft. You come back a little bit later and we'll, we'll certainly talk about Carl Brooks in just a moment, but now you've got some rotational pieces. You still got a Jonathan Ford, a seventh round pick from a season ago. And then uh, you still have got, you know, a couple other uh, rotational pieces on that defensive line as well. So I, I think that that is a really good starting point for the defensive line. And really outside of Kenny Clark, you've got Wyatt picked last year, you know, Slayton, what, a couple of years before that. And then, you know, Jonathan Ford last year, a couple more guys this year. You've got a young nucleus along that defensive line with Kenny Clark, who uh, is still young in age because he was drafted at basically like age 14, it seems like. But that's a that's a really fun start to your rotation along the defensive line. Um, like I said, I think he can play more of like that that three technique. He's not going to be like a true nose at the, the size that he's at. I think he can work inside on some obvious passing downs. I think he's going to be able to hold up at the point of attack, but you're getting a penetrator with this player in the, along the defensive line that can also get under some pads and move some people into the backfield also. So this is a very fun pick in round four. And then you get the much maligned pick in round five with Sean Clifford, quarterback, Penn State, 6'2", 218 with a 9.04 RAS score. And here's the thing. And Brian Gudikins basically said this. They knew they needed a backup quarterback. And what happened right before they, they picked Sean Clifford? There was a run on quarterbacks. And he basically said, we had one guy left on our board that we still liked. And I think they would have preferred to have taken Sean Clifford later in the draft and not maybe been so aggressive at that point. But he he literally said, he's like, we looked at our board and, you know, there was, you know, kind of one quarterback left that we liked. And we looked at some of the other positions and there were a lot of those players at those positions that were still left. So if we missed on a couple of those, we still had a couple more that we liked basically. So they took the quarterback, the, the, the last guy that was kind of left on their board that they liked, brought him in for a visit. And I know, again, this was a bit of a maligned pick. Here's the thing. If you're picking a quarterback at the fifth round, you know, in the fifth round of the draft, you know, you are looking for something that you can sink your teeth into. You're looking for something that you think you can develop. And I think that's what you're sort of getting here with Sean Clifford is that Green Bay found a couple things that they really liked. He was a four-year captain in high school, a two-year captain at Penn State. He's got great toughness, great leadership traits, a very athletic quarterback with that 9.16 RAS. I think he had like a 4.640 uh, in the 40-yard dash. He's got some speed. He's got some mobility. I actually think he fits what Matt LaFleur likes to run on offense. I think he can run sort of that RPO-based offense. He's going to have some of that mobility as well. I think he can make those reads. He just needs to become more accurate. He's got a pretty good arm. He's got a pretty good base. His footwork's not terrible. Like You can look at Sean Clifford and take away the up and downs and the inconsistency and take away some of the, the decision-making at times and those sort of things. He's got some productivity as well, but you look at the quarterback, you look at the base, you look at the footwork, and there's some things to work with there. And you add that with some, you know, the leadership traits and high, uh, you know, 
basically was highly sought after coming out of college or high school. Like there's some things there that you can work with. Is it ideal? No. Would I have liked, uh, you know, maybe a Jaron Hall out of BYU more? Absolutely. But if we've reached sort of the fifth round in the draft and the biggest thing that we're nitpicking is, you know, could they have taken a different fifth round quarterback? It's not the worst thing in the world. Could they have maybe waited? Probably. But if that was the last guy on their board, like you get it, you understand it. And you just hope that they saw something on tape and maybe it's a, maybe it's something that they thought is correctable, right? So maybe with, you know, with Clifford, maybe it, they, they thought that it was like a mechanical thing. So his, like his decisions were fine and he's got the base and he's got the arm talent. He's got things like that. But the, the thing that was holding him back was accuracy. And maybe they're like, if he just fit, you know, fixes this one thing with his footwork or is one thing with his, you know, whatever it is, like we think that he can develop and, you know, into a more accurate quarterback. And the truth is that the upside here is probably a backup quarterback and he's going to have the opportunity to earn that job this upcoming year. But not my favorite pick in the draft, to say the least. I would have liked Jaron Hall, the quarterback out of BYU, a whole heck of a lot more at this point, but we'll see what he can ultimately become. And, uh, you know, there is a little bit more to him than I think, you know, I think people see that, you you know, a lot of the, the draft analysts didn't have him as a, you know, draftable candidate. A lot of them had him as an undrafted guy. I get it. I really do. I understand it. Like I said, not my favorite pick, but I think there's a little bit more there that Green Bay saw and can potentially work with. And we'll see what he can do ultimately in, in many camps and OTAs and what he can potentially bring to the table. Uh, Dontavian Wicks, wide receiver, Virginia, 6'1", 206, 9.17 RAS. This is a player that throw away 2022. Just throw away 2022 and watch 2021. You watch 2021 and he is a heck of a football player that is getting open consistently, making contested catches. He had insane productivity, nine touchdowns. He's doing everything. You get to 2022, like I said, just don't watch it. Burn the tape, move on. And what you're hoping for for Green Bay is that in you know the 2021 tape is what is the real Dontavian Wicks and that there were things that maybe held him back. This new system, the new offense, some of the players around him just wasn't as good of a fit. That's possible. And you know, that's what you're hoping for. There's a little bit of Jamon Moore here. From reports, he, you know, sort of struggled with some of the offense that they were putting in in 2022, had some concentration drops, had some concentration fumbles. Those are things that he's going to have to get cleaned up over time. But you just throw on the 2021 tape and you see everything you need to see for the type of playmaker that Dontavian Wicks can become. I don't mind the fly. That's exactly the type of flyer that you should be taking in the fifth round of the draft. Extreme athlete, 9.17 RAS. It's everything that Green Bay looks for. Had a phenomenal year in 2021 that you can lean on. You hope to get him back to playing at that level. And the upside is absolutely there. And if it misses and the 2022 Dontavian Wicks was the real Dontavian Wicks, you missed on it. You lost a fifth round pick. It's not the end of the world. The upside was worth the play here. And I like the pick ultimately for Green Bay. Carl Brooks, defensive lineman, Bowling Green, 6'3", 303, 5.87 RAS. Went a little bit out of their normal, uh, you know, high level athleticism to go get Carl Brooks. Man, just throw on some tape and some highlights. This guy is so freaking fun. And he moved all over. They used him as an edge they used him as a stand-up bull rushing edge to collapse pockets, and he was freaking awesome at it. He was really, really good, and yet insane productivity, consistently got to the quarterback, consistently had tackles for loss. You watch this guy, and he's constantly in the backfield. It doesn't matter if he was on the edge, on the interior. doesn't matter if he was using agility or just using leverage and power. He was constantly in the backfield, pushing offensive linemen into the backfield. 
There's a lot of things that he's going to need to continue to work on. He's going to have to transition into a full-time interior defensive lineman going against, you know, not, you know, the normal competition that Bowling Green would go against. You're now playing in the NFL. So it's not going to be easy to, you know, sort of get into the backfield, like with the, the relative ease that he did in college football. This is one of Pro Football Focus's highest rated players in all of college football a season ago. There's some really, really fun tape on him. I can't wait to do a huge deep dive into him as much as I possibly can. I don't know how much Bowling Green tape I'm going to be able to get my hands on, but we'll figure something out. I'm going to watch as much as I humanly possibly can, and we'll do the deep dive soon. But this is a very fun rotational player. And I think I think they found something here just you know, on, on my initial uh, watch through with him. So really, really fun player. Can't wait to dig into him deeper. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Anders Carlson, kicker Auburn, 6'5", 218. This is another one you can probably nitpick a little bit. The accuracy wasn't great the last couple of years in college. This is kind of another one. Go back to 2020, he kicked much better. Yeah, theoretically has a big leg, didn't have any, you know, field goals over 50 yards a season ago. Uh, his long last year, I believe, was 47, 48 yards. Had some accuracy issues. I'm not going to break down kicker much more than that for you. A uh, couple couple things here. One fun story. I'm in the Packer Report chat and they, you know, they're working uh, collectively to get the immediate article out and they do the RAS score and the comp and they're all working together. I think it was uh, Dari Carragher. So they, one of the things they always do is they like put like, all right, who's a comp for this player? And you know, everyone works together to figure out a comp. And uh, so all, all throughout the draft, like, all right, who's the the comp for you know, um, you know, for Lucas Van Ness? All right, who's the comp for this guy? And they have great comps. They did such an amazing job. And then so Dari in, in the chat, the the question was, all right, who's the comp for uh, for uh, Anders Carlson? And his response was other kickers. And it was just so beautiful. He's like, yeah, he looks like a kicker, right? He's awesome. And then the other thing here that we need to touch base on is just Mason Crosby, right? Mason Crosby, not active under the roster. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's not currently on the team. Matt, uh, Brian Gudikins didn't rule him out entirely. But at, at this point, when you're drafting a kicker, 
the writing's on the wall. And if that is ultimately it for Mason Crosby, which it probably is for Mason Crosby, what a phenomenal, phenomenal career. Had some downs along the way and always bounced back from it. This past year had a much better year in 2022 than he had in 2021. Uh, ultimately, it was probably right that they kept him a season ago. You could tell that the leg was starting to go a little bit, didn't have quite the distance that he used to. Kickoffs weren't traveling quite as far. And uh, it was probably just time to start going in another direction with a younger kicker. Hopefully they got it right in Anders Carlson. But if that is it for Mason Crosby, what a freaking career in Green Bay that he had. Uh, Carrington Valentin, the corner out of Kentucky, 5'11", 193, 9.30 RAS score. Has some really fun intangibles, but this is a huge special teams play. This is a Rich Passaccia pick. Played a ton on special teams in college. I'm going to get to more in just a moment. Uh, I want to go over a couple things as to why I think Green Bay did well on, on day three of the draft and some things that they can lean on. But this is a player that has size, speed, you know, can bump and run a little bit, didn't do it a lot in college. Um, and I think that fits very well within this Green Bay defense. This is a player that, what? So you've got Stokes hurt to begin the year. You've got Jair. Then you've got Razul. You've got Keyshawn. Who's your number four after that? Like you're literally looking at Carrington Valentin having a opportunity to win that number four job at corner. And he's going to be in the conversation, especially because he's probably going to get on the roster and, you know, on the, you know, on the active roster because of his special teams play. Like this guy is a guy who can earn his spot as a number four corner uh, before you know it. If you start needing an outside corner this year, what are you going to put Shamar John Charles out there? He's undersized, more of a slot guy. Keyshawn's not an outside corner. Like this guy's like an injury away right now from potentially like seeing the field in extensive action in like day one. So a very interesting pick and keep an eye on him as uh, rookie minicamps and OTAs and all those things, training camp, et cetera, move on. Uh, Lou Nichols, the third running back, Central Michigan, 5'10", 222, 7.83 RAS score. So on day three of the draft, you're not getting your cake and eating it too, right? A lot of times you have to choose between either production or, you know, athleticism, upside. You're true, you're choosing something. With Lou Nichols the third, you're getting incredible productivity in college. Uh, like I think he led uh, college football in rushing yards, like extremely productive. Has one of the things I really liked about him, really great vision. You see him in in a nutshell, you see him find the hole and and analyze what's going on in front of him, find the hole, quick cut, get upfield quick cut, get upfield. He's got quick feet, but I think the, the thing that really sets him up for success is his vision. And I, this is not the same player. This is not my comp. It's nothing like this at all. But I go back to Arian Foster with running back sometimes. If you remember Arian Foster, he didn't have any special trait. His vision was phenomenal. He saw the hole immediately. He knew how to leverage that hole and he got through it. He got upfield and he was fantastic. He was such a amazing running back. There's a little bit of that vision, that cut, that get up field, and it's it's really fun to watch. And when he's really going and going well, that's what kind of sets him apart. Now, doesn't have the breakaway speed, has some good power, but he's not exactly like a power back either. So those are sort of the things that you're you're kind of getting with him. We'll have some drops from time to time. There's but there's there's a lot to work with there, and still was a what seven point eight three Raz guy. So he has some athleticism. He's got a little bit of juice, but it's the vision and it's that ability to see the hole with quickness and then hit the hole, get upfield, and get those yards that are there for you. That I think is a, a really fun trait for his. 
Anthony Johnson Jr., safety, Iowa State, 5'11", 205, 8.13 RAS score, made the transition from corner to safety. You saw him have a little bit more productivity from an interception standpoint. Didn't have interceptions at corner, immediately got a couple picks at safety. Um, This is a very fun athlete, another player that played a lot on special teams. And if we look at the safety depth chart right now, not much there. Like you can pick a name out of a hat for who you want as your starting safeties at the moment. We'll see. We'll talk more on that in just a second as well. But uh, he's going to have the opportunity to come in and compete, certainly for a roster spot. And we're not far off from Anthony Johnson, just based on his athleticism and his, you know, in what he can bring to the table. Like he could theoretically get in, in, in the conversation for starting safety. Real, real talk, legitimately. Now, I'm not putting that pressure on a seventh round pick. The odds are is that that's not the case. If I told you he either started this year or was like got cut in as on the practice squad all year, the latter is still probably more likely for a seventh round pick. But where Green Bay's at with safety and the talent that Anthony Johnson has, it's also not impossible, which is kind of crazy to think about. And then Grant Dubose, wide receiver Charlotte. If I were to like label the three layers of like my favorite picks in this draft, it would definitely be um, Musgrave on you know the, on the early portions. In the middle, it would be Carl Brooks, and then at the end, it was Grant Dubose. Grant Dubose is an incredibly fun wide receiver that, in my opinion, should have gone much earlier. He can make contested catches. He's got speed. There's there's two plays that I think um, really show all. It was in the same game. It was against Duke. He has a play that he wins with speed and gets an explosive play down the field. He, I think it was a, a long touchdown if memory serves, because his explosive touchdown down the field and shows off his speed, shows off his playmaking. And then later in the game, he's got the ball and he's going towards the red zone and there's a couple defenders in front of him. And what does he do? He just puts his head down, he bullies himself through there and he finds a way to get in the end zone. And that's the type of player he's got some spectacular catches on film. He's got some run after catch ability. He'll run through players to get to the end zone. This is a really, really fun seventh round pick. And again, if you're betting, bet that these seventh round picks never work out. That's probably your best bet. But if you are going to take guys in the seventh round, and especially if you're going to take four of them, take some fun guys with some upside and, and Grant Dubose is especially that. And what I really also liked about day four of the draft, and I was kind of getting into this a little bit before with Carrington Valentin, is that there's there's no perfect prospects on day three of the draft. So you have to compromise just a little bit and sort of figure out, all right, what are we going to go for? I think sometimes one of the best things that you can do is sort of figure out like, all right, why was this player not valued higher? And is that something that, you know, we can sort of build off of? Or is there like, is the reason that they haven't been taken? And is the reason that, you know, teams aren't valuing them as much? Is it sort of like a red herring? Meaning that like, let's just take, um, let's take uh, Dontavian Wicks, for example. Is, you know, if, if people, if teams are saying like, hey, look what he did in 2022, like that's not ultimately what we want on this team is like his production wasn't good. He had some, you know, struggles with drops. Like he's not, a, if you look at 2022, you might say he's not a draftable player. If, if you're picking on day three, it's kind of easier to say like, you know what? Screw that. Screw 2022. We're throwing that tape out. We're going to look at 2021. And if we look at that, we're looking at maybe more of like a third round wide receiver. And you think you can build off of that. And you can, so then what's the reason why? What's the sort of excuse if we're saying it, right? Well, there was a new offense and, you know, new, new play calling, new, new supporting cast, all of those things around Dontavian Wicks. So maybe the offense just didn't fit him as well. Maybe something was just a little bit off, whatever it was, there's at least a reason there. So if the reason is that just the offense didn't fit him and that things just didn't work out in 2022 and the 2021 is the real version. Awesome. You can go with that. Like Carl Brooks is another one of those. Like 
He's playing on the edge as a 300-pound guy. Teams might look at him and be like, all right, well, that's not going to work. And Green Bay is going to say, we're going to move him inside. And we think that the reason that he wasn't valued more is because he's at a smaller school, Bowling Green, not known for their draft picks. And then he was kind of this weird 300-pound guy that played on the edge sometimes. We're going to move him into a more traditional interior defensive line group, you know, role. He's got great productivity. We're going to let him cook, and we're going to see what he can ultimately do. Carrington Valentin, the corner. They never used him as really a press man corner. He played in his own coverage. Now we'll see if Green Bay actually does any more pressing this year. But if I think that he pressed more and been in a you know in a scheme that I think would have used his talents a little bit better, I think we're talking about like maybe a fourth round pick instead of a seventh round pick. And I think Green Bay can say, hey, he's got all the traits that we need. We don't think he was in the right system for his skill set. And if we use him better the way that he can, this is a player that could really turn out. Anthony Johnson Jr., you've got a guy that used to play corner, just basically transitioned to safety, hasn't had that experience, but showed off he can really play the position. Had he been a safety for three, four years, we might be talking about a fourth round pick instead of a seventh round pick. And he's got high athletic upside, showed what he could do at safety, but he's still just learning the position. Green Bay might say, hey, yeah, we we think that the transition from corner to safety went really well. And even though that he's not that finished product yet, we think that upside is just coming because he's still just learning that position. You're looking for sort of those, all right, what's the reason why, you know, reasons and sort of trying to pick those apart. And if you can figure out some reasons why, you can understand why Green Bay picks some of these guys. And that's a really good way to attack day three of the draft. All right, a couple other things that I wanted to go over. No offensive lineman, which is shocking and maybe not shocking, but shocking in the fact that Green Bay always takes offensive linemen and they had a bazillion picks. So not taking any offensive lineman is pretty crazy for them. I was asked in one of the chats of like, is, is, is that a bad thing? Should they have taken an offensive lineman? And my answer was, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm a little bit disappointed only because they're so good at evaluating offensive linemen and taking those tackles that are highly athletic and moving them inside. Like day three offensive linemen is just synonymous with Green Bay Packers, whether it's Mark Tauscher, whether it's David Bakhtiari, Josh Sitton, TJ Lang, uh, Corey Lindsley, JC Treader. We could go on and on and on. Zach Thomas season ago. Um, John Runyon Jr. Like Green Bay just knows how to find and develop these super talented offensive linemen that become starters, long-term starters, like Packer Hall of Fame type players, Hall of Fame type players maybe in David Bakhtiari's situation. I don't know if he's quite going to get there, probably in large part due to the injury, unfortunately. But these are, you know, players that Green Bay's done a great job with. So to see them not sort of use one of their superpowers is a little bit like upsetting, but at the same time, you can understand why they've got some of those developmental players already on the roster. If you're going to take a fifth or sixth round pick just for the sake of taking one, you might cost a Caleb Jones or a Luke Tenuta or a Sean Ryan or um, a Rashid Walker, one of those guys, their jobs. And those are guys that you put time, effort, energy into a season ago to start developing already. And Luke Tenuta, you know, for those who don't know, he was drafted a season ago. Green Bay claimed him. By the end of the year, he was ahead of Caleb Jones and Rasheed Walker on that offensive line depth chart. So um, it's really interesting that they have, you know, some of those developmental guys. They got depth. They've got six potential starters, Royce Newman and, and Jake Hansen, who I know nobody's clamoring for to ever see the field again, per se, but they both have starting experience in the NFL. They're solid backup. Well, they're backups at this point. 
we'll put it that way. But they kind of have your your starting caliber guys, a couple swing guys, some guys that have experience in the NFL starting, and then you've got some developmental upside guys already. So they didn't need to address it. The only disappointment, like I said, is they're so good at finding those guys. It's always a little bit weird to not see them draft anyone if it actually happens. It hasn't happened since 2015. The misses, if you want to say like, all right, what did they miss in this draft? They didn't get, uh, like, we can say that they didn't get like a true backup quarterback. Maybe Sean Clifford ends up being that, but they didn't get, like, they didn't go maybe fourth round instead of fifth round that maybe they would have got one of the better ones, like a Clayton Tune or someone like that. I think if they, had they been a little bit more aggressive, maybe they could have got a little bit better of a quarterback. Even Jalen Hall, who was there, I think would have been a much better option for a backup quarterback uh, than what Sean Clifford would be. But again, time will tell. Uh, cornerback depth, they did get Valentin, but uh, there's not much else, right? Again, and we talked about it earlier, you've got, you know, Shamar John Charles, who hasn't proven anything, what, Keandre Thomas, like, you, you, there's not much there for backup corners. So they do get somebody in the seventh round, but that's a tough ask to sort of build out the depth at corner. They didn't really attack that. And then starting safety, right? And this was not a good draft for safeties. I've already praised them for not attacking it aggressively because it wasn't a good position in this draft, but they still are lacking those starting caliber safeties on the roster. Then that brings us to the question of like, all right, what veterans should they sign? Should they go bring back an Adrian Amos or someone like that? And I'm pretty steadfast against any of that. And the reason why, first of all, from an Amos standpoint, he looked three steps slower a season ago. He looked kind of just ready to be done. And from for a team that's not ready to compete, like I don't have any doubt that maybe he could bounce back this upcoming year, have a really nice season. Quite honestly, I hope that he does. I don't care. You know, hopefully he's not an NFC North team, but if he goes to Baltimore, for example, I hope he has a great season in Baltimore. I'll be cheering for him a million percent. But the, the tape that he put on last year, like this was the most consistent safety I have ever seen in my life in his time in Chicago, in his time in Green Bay, he was really good from day one through 2021. And then 2022, it was bam, there was a significant drop off. And here's here's what I will ultimately ask you. And this is, I really want you to think about this for a second. Is signing Adrian Amos going to help you win a Super Bowl in any timeline? The answer is no. He's not going to help you win a Super Bowl this year. And you're signing him probably for a one-year deal. He's not going to help you win a Super Bowl in 2024. He's not going to help you win a Super Bowl in 2025. You know who could maybe, I'm not saying it's likely, but you know who could maybe help you win a Super Bowl in 2024, 25, 26 down the road? Your younger players. Maybe an Anthony Johnson. I would a million times over. If you could say right now, who do you who do I want getting snaps in 2023? Adrian Amos or Anthony Johnson? I'll take a seventh round pick, Anthony Johnson right now. I want Anthony Johnson getting those snaps. Because there's no scenario in which Adrian Amos helps win a Super Bowl. Anthony Johnson, maybe he does. Probably not. Like he's probably not the guy that's going to help. But hey, let's find out. Let's see what he can do. Maybe you get a surprise out of it. Maybe he ends up being a really solid contributor, solid starter, or maybe even just a nice third rotational safety down the road. You need those. Uh, Even on Super Bowl team, you need a rotational safety. Like you need a guy that can step up and play for you. You know how you can get that? You can develop the player, let him play and see the field. I would much rather have a younger guy like an Innis Gaines or an Anthony Johnson take those snaps than a, a veteran that's not going to help you this year and isn't going to be a, you know around when you're competing. You're just taking away snaps from players that need the snaps in order to get better so you can compete down the road. The same goes at wide receiver. I don't need another Sammy Watkins-esque receiver sniping snaps from all the three rookie wide receivers and Samore Toure and Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. I don't need any veteran wide receiver right now to take those snaps away. 
Let those guys develop with Jordan Love. Let them go through the bumps now so that, again, in 2024, 2025, 2026, those bumps are ironed out and Jordan and that receiving core have developed together and are on the same page from a chemistry standpoint. That's the hope with those guys. So I don't need veterans at this point. Like, and if you're saying, well, like, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a veteran wide receiver so they can put the armor. That's what your wide receiver coach is for. I don't, I don't hate that philosophy overall. I like when there's a veteran in the room. I think that there can be some help with that, but I also don't think it's necessary. These are pro, you know, professional athletes, professional football players. They know how to do it. And they have a wide receiver coach for that very exact thing. So I'm, I'm not concerned about that. I want to see these young guys play and I want to see them given the opportunity to succeed and see what they can do and see if they can develop into the players that can help the team when that next Super Bowl window is open. And furthermore, let's just say you can sign Adrian Amos right now for a one-year, $2 million deal. That sounds like a steal. Like, why would you not do that? How could you not do that? Well, a vet minimum player is a 750000 And so you're taking $1.25 million from future salary caps by signing an Adrian Amos who again, we just mentioned is not going to help you win a Super Bowl in any timeline. And you're now taking snaps from younger players who you want to develop and get better so that they can help you on that next timeline. And you're now taking 1.25 million from future salary caps because salary caps carry over. And now you're paying him this year with some additional funds that isn't a vet you know, minimum. And so that's going to take away from future salary caps. Is it that big of a deal? Is it that much money if you could get them for a one year, $2 million deal? It's not. But again, there's just... Overall, you want the younger guys to play. Amos isn't going to help you win a Super Bowl on any timeline. And any money that he makes over the vet minimum is going to take away from future salary caps. Just sign me all the way out and let those young guys develop together at all positions at this point. There's, I'm sure they're going to add a couple of veterans here and there to a couple of different rooms. I would rather the young guys develop. That's a million percent over. I see no reason to add veterans to any room at this point. Not We talked about the one I would consider, the one I would consider would be backup quarterback. And the reason why is I do think a backup veteran quarterback going through Jordan's first season with him could actually be somewhat beneficial. Even if it's somebody like a Joe Flacco, who I know, you know, probably doesn't cost much money at this point, but has been and been around, has seen everything, has done everything. Someone like that in the room with, with Jordan, I think could actually potentially be beneficial or a Matt Ryan or something like that. That would be the one caveat that I would add to it. Other than that, I, I don't see a whole heck of a lot of need to add any veterans at this point. Undrafted free agents, a couple that have been reported so far. Sometimes this stuff gets reported and then it doesn't end up happening. And some of the guys actually got you know rookie minicamp tryouts and not actually signed to undrafted free agent deals. But the guys who have been reported so far, Cameron McDonald, tight end out of FSU, Benny Sapp, defensive back out of Northern Iowa, Jason Luan, defensive lineman out of Illinois State. Malik Keith, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. Kadeem Telfort, the offensive tackle out of UAB, somebody they had in for a visit. Jimmy Phelps, the Jimmy Phelps Jr., the linebacker out of SMU. Henry Pearson, the tight end out of App State. Kishan Banks, the outside linebacker out of New Mexico. Chuck Felicia, offensive lineman out of Minnesota. Christian Morgan, safety out of Baylor. And Deuce Watts, a wide receiver out of Tulane. So those are the reported uh, undrafted free agents that I have seen so far. A couple other really quick things. Jordan Love's fifth-year option, Brian did not commit to it, which is very interesting to me. And I'm not going to read anything into it yet, and I think they ultimately pick him up. His reasoning was that it is a player that hasn't played, and it's a lot of money. You just made him your starting quarterback. Give that guy a vote of confidence and pick that up. The only thing I can think of is maybe Green Bay is actually trying to work out a smaller term, like, hey, can we get a two-year deal, three-year deal type thing done? That could be something they're looking at that maybe isn't quite 
as cost prohibitive. The other thing is that let's just say there's a like there's an argument to be made that Green Bay should go to the agent of Jordan Love and say, hey, let's work out something that's a middle ground here. Because if Jordan goes out and plays poorly next year, and Green Bay doesn't pick up his option, he's gonna get what on the free agent market? Five, six, seven million next year, maybe at most. And so if he struggles, you're not getting anything close to the 20 million next year. So maybe Green Bay calls up the agent and says, hey, we're not going to pick up the option, but we're like, let's it, let's come to a middle ground. Instead of picking up the option, let's do a one-year $15 million deal instead of the $20 million option. And for the agent, you're like, all right, that gives us some safety because if he struggles, he's making 10 million more than what he would on the open market if he has a bad year. And if he does really, really well, we're, we're missing out on a little bit, but they're immediately going to sign them to a long-term deal right after that anyway. So you're not losing a ton. There could be maybe some, some, at least an argument to be made that maybe they could come to some middle ground on that. But my guess is it ultimately gets picked up, but that, that's a really interesting comment from Brian Gutekunst. And I'm a little bit shocked that they haven't done it quite yet. Meanwhile, I've been told that Tariq Carpenter is moving to linebacker. Peter Bukowski mentioned that on Twitter. I totally missed that at some point. He's still listed as a safety on the roster, but apparently Tariq Carpenter did some sort of interview and said that he's moving to linebacker. So take that for what it is worth. Um, As I mentioned, the deep dives are coming. Keep an eye out for those. My overall draft take, I really, really like this draft on paper. I like what they uh, I like what they were able to do. I like the philosophies that they used. I like the way that he navigated this specific draft. I thought it was a poor draft class overall. I thought Green Bay had a really strong draft class, especially considering the overarching uh, you know, poor draft that I thought this was. So I, I give Goot a lot of credit and now hopefully we're right. And hopefully this is a very strong draft class that Goot got some long-term starters and maybe a couple uh, high-end players out of. That is going to do it for me. Before I exit and do my normal outro here, I just really want to say thank you. I've done a lot of the Q&As. I've done a variety of different videos, some once following picks. I did a Q&A um, over with Bleacher Report. I did, you know, obviously we've got our audio podcast. We've got everything. Our numbers were through the roofs on YouTube and uh, on, on the audio. And you know, like just all of it has been beyond amazing. Uh, people were super generous with the super chats. I love doing this, but it doesn't, if I was just, you know, when I first started, I, I was doing a lot of this stuff and I basically had like two friends and like a family member that were listening to me. And I think they were just kind of being nice. And so to be able to do all this and and have you guys follow along with it, it means a whole heck of a lot. Uh, it's a lot of work that goes into it. My voice is shot right now. I am dying. I think I've got like eight hours of sleep in the last three days. Uh, I've got a lot of tape to watch coming up over the next couple couple weeks, really, as we get into these deep dives. It is a labor of love. I love every second of doing it, but it means so much more uh, that I get to do it along with all of you guys. So thank you so much for joining me all this week. I'll be right back here tomorrow with an all new episode because we do this 365 days a year. But until next time, and as always, go Paco.